Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Special Mikey. Along with me always is Hindu Anthony. What's up, Buttercup? And Super Vegan Brian. Hello! And our special guest, Anna Meyer. She's a fantasy cartographer, and she does plenty more things that are really awesome. Say hi, Anna. Hi. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, because... I've I've met you a few times playing Pathfinder, and I already think you're pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I'm one of the first generation gamers. I think I'm I'm just a bit over fifty. I started gaming in seventy nine eighty using one of the earliest versions of D and D, and I've been a nerdy gamer ever since. That is pretty cool. You 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 were, you were there for the alpha. This is cool. Yeah, you've been playing since about seventy nine eighty, and then has it only been like? D&D Pathfinder, or have you been doing majority? It's, it's been on and off. In the first couple of years, it was only D&D and, and a Swedish offshoot uh, called Drakan and Demoner. That was a Swedish version of D&D, but it was actually more RuneQuest rules. So so that we did that for, for a few years. And then when the market kind of exploded, we tried everything. We had Travelers for many years and RuneQuest, and, and we played Paranoia. We played tons of stuff for like a decade but then i started to really hone in on on playing dnd i became a fantasy nerd more than than science fiction and and a lot of the other stuff so so it became dnd for many years and then when you had all that edition wars and stuff started like 10 years ago i started i kept it, I saw it was easier to go from 3.5 to Pathfinder than to 4th edition. So mm-hmm. so I've been playing Pathfinder since. Ah, yes. The wonderful world of Pathfinder. That's going to be awesome. And you know what? We're going to talk so much more about this because we're just we're going to dive deep into everything that is Anna. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do our favorite game. It's What's Nerdy With You? And this is where we just sit down, talk about the nerdiest thing we did this week. And take a vote on it and see who wins gets to be that wondrous king of the nerds or queen of the nerds until, you know, next week. So um, we're going to go. And and as always, we always start with our guests. So, Anna, what's nerdy Uh, with you? This uh, past week, it's been my uh, techie nerdy side, my computer nerd. That has been more than anything. Professionally, it's been the launch of of Midgard and, and the Midgard Kickstarter campaign. And I'm doing a lot of the maps for that. But that work was previous so I'm, I'm still just going on but i built a new computer last week and 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 i've been installing it and and hauling it tons of cables away and and redid my my um, my computer desk with my computer so i'm a tech nerd of of, of rang so to speak i have i have a pretty cool computer setup that will impress most people what is it what do you got I got four desktop computers, and I have three 30-inch screens, and I have uh, my joysticks and uh, throttles and and des- all stuff like that. And 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 I have probably desktop computers for the last computer I bought was about four thousand five hundred dollars just for the computer, no keyboard monitors and just the hardware inside the computer. That was a <laughs> bit over four thousand dollars. Hear that, Anthony? Anthony I heard that. Anthony, that's a computer I care about. 
Yeah, exactly. Jeez, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, my water-cooled PC that still isn't fixed. Is Sitting over in the corner. Now, 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 um, Anna, you, you, um, do you use water cooling? Yes, I have three on my computer on my four are water cooled. Have you had any trouble with leaks? And uh, nope, not so far. I've bought the uh, the the Corsair <laughs> their their pre-made kit, so to speak. So it all the the tubing and all the 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 f- fluid and all that is is already there. So you just mount it in, so to speak. I originally like ten years ago, I built a computer from scratch and put all the tubing in, but that was too much work, and and it's much better to get a pre-made kit. So what um, so have, what case what case company did you use? Uh, I use Corsair. Uh, I found a case that I liked. So the last three of them are the, exactly the same case. They're a good company. They are. Yep. Better After. than the one you used, right, Anthony? Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> mine was mine was an all-in-one also. It was all together in one. It's just the, the uh, water cooling portion, the heat sink part, the tubing got dislocated from the heat sink and dripped water onto the graphics card. Uh-oh. Now I'm in some yeah, he, trouble because the the people the tech support people I was talking to to get everything replaced have just kind of suddenly stopped talking to me. They're hardcore ignoring him. And calling them is very difficult because they're in China. Nobody checks their email. It's a little funny, but at the same time, I feel so bad for him. So who's next? So uh, since we kind of crapped on Anthony and his his whole existential <laughs> crisis with his computer, we're gonna let him go. Anthony, what's dirty with you? We crap on Anthony every week. By that logic, he should go second or first every week, depending on if we have a guest or not. <laughs> you know what? No, he's gonna man up. He's gonna be a big boy. Brian, go. What the? I was about to say something. <laughs> you know, I'll be nice to Anthony. You know what? What you have to say is probably not relevant and not gonna win. So I'll uh, go ahead. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> <You're an asshole. laughs> I want to try extra hard. Okay, so this week I had my vacation from work, so I got to do some really cool things. Okay, and this is the nerdy thing I did. Since I'm going to be getting back into playing Warhammer 40K, since I'm now in areas where there is places to go play 40K, I took a bunch of my models and actually put them together and painted them, including my tank, my really nifty tank. I'll have to post the pictures on the Facebook page so everyone can see that. Well, yeah, but I was going to post it after the episode so that people can listen to it and then they can go and see the pictures. Sounds good. So you're going to post it on Wednesday? Probably. Okay. I don't want to do things out of order. So I'm sorry. We're going to post it today, folks, people who are listening to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're actually listening to it on the Um, drop date. (laughs) I especially really liked the tank because I did some really neat things with it using um, the green stuff, the molding putty green stuff i i added like giant blistering sores and pimples on the tank and it's covered in white little maggots it's awesome he sent me the pictures they actually looks really really good that's actually so you you went on a mod on a uh mini mo- modifying extravaganza oh yeah lots of painting and then i was looking at the stuff i want to buy soon to revitalize my army because the uh, Chaos Space Marines came out with a new detachment book called the Traitor Legion, which adds a bunch of cool new detachments and formations because they're starting out this thing called the Fall of Cadia. Basically, it's the 13th Black Crusade is happening again. Cadia has fallen. So all the original um, Traitor Legions that fell to the Horus Harrison the first time are coming through the eye of terror and attacking so 
the uh, the new detachments allow you to play those original Trader Legions and comes with cool detachments. I gotta buy new models to actually utilize these. It's gonna cost money. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't think you're gonna have to kill yourself over it, but you'll be all right. It's gonna cost money. It's gonna cost money. <laughs> Straight up, you're gonna cost. It's gonna cost money. It's gonna cost money. Nice. Your turn, Michael. What did you do this week? Well, last week actually. Well, this last week I was at my job. Relaxing. I, I go to my car for lunch and I, I sit there. I'm, I usually call my wife and then I just relax. I like write or I just zone out. And so I get out of my car and I start heading back into work. And as I'm walking, I see a car drive by and the back end looks very suspiciously familiar. And I was like, no, no, no. I get closer. Somebody has made an has made an exact replica of the Back to the Future DeLorean, and they've come to the store I work at, and they park to go grocery shopping, and I'm just sat there and I admired it. And when he got out, he's like, "You like it?" It's like, "Yeah, I like it." And he he's like, "Well, I got lights too." And he opens the he opens the door up, and he opens the trunk, and he flips a switch to this external battery, and all of a sudden, all the LEDs on the car, all the dash panel uh, light up, and then the flux capacitor actually starts pulsating light out of it. It, it was one of the coolest things that had ever happened to me, and I, I actually got a chance to sit there and talk with the guy. He's part of a group called One Point Twenty One Gigawatts Guys. Gigawatts. Gigawatts. Thank you. Wow. Gigawatt guys, they're uh, a small group that maintain the car and they go to cons and display the car and they do uh, vendor setup. They they so they have minor merch sometimes and then they also do uh, what is it uh, like trivia games and stuff for people. And I got to talk to him for a bit. He actually let me take a few pictures of the car and they should be up on our Facebook page by now. Now I've already reached out to them about being on the podcast. Yeah, you you did reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Haven't heard back yet. And yeah, the the head guy I, I talked to, I think his name was Lenny. He actually had a Back to the Future shirt on when I was talking to him. So it was it was really it was actually really awesome. It, it was like a a boyhood dream come true. I got to I got to stand next to this car and look at it, and oh, uh, I, I completely <laughs> hard out. I skipped back into work, like literally skipped. I was so happy. Uh, but that's what's nerdy with me. So Brian, what's nerdy with you? Well. I went flying with Anna last Wednesday. I visited her, and we went on a flight in a Cessna from um, Hemet to, I think we landed in Riverside? or yep. Yeah, eventually, after some flying around over yeah, in but, Mojave Desert and through Palm Springs and stuff. But what makes this nerdy is we didn't leave her office. What? We went flying on a virtual Cessna in the most amazing flight simulator I've ever seen with photorealistic displays. As long as you're at 10,000 feet, they don't look so photorealistic when you're closer. <laughs> mm, yeah. Like when you see cars drive through trains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh <my> God. <laughs> that gives it away. And yeah. that the, um, the red lights of the – we flew over the um, – the wind turbines in the Palm Desert and the lights in the flight simulator aren't blinking because that would take up too much graphics would, to have a yeah. hundred blinking lights on screen. So that was a little difference. That was like the big thing. But I think the the airport lights were blinking. I think oh, yeah. they did keep that. 
yes, so, yeah, a lot of lights are blinking. I think the the uh, the reason that the the lights on the um, um, the wind farms aren't blinking is because someone haven't programmed them to. Because there are some masts and a lot of other things, and you can fly over a city and you see the red lights are shifting from red to 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 green to yellow, and the traffic is actually following the the red lights, and and you can so you can see there is like tons and tons and tons of detail and and you could basically generate photoreal scenery it uses uh, satellite images and a combination of that and open street map data and if you have good open street date map data and satellite image it would look perfectly photorealistic like having a video camera filming out of your plane from about two three thousand feet and if you're above five thousand it looks Super real and ten ten thousand or higher feet higher up, then and it looks absolutely believable. It looks the mountains so look really cool. cool. There's a few yep. places where you can see that the tiles don't line up perfectly with the seasons. Yep. Like you'll see yep. spring next to summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you don't care. It looks really good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, she showed me what it looked like without the photorealistic textures, and it's the difference between night and day. Yep. Um, so I'm the last one. So why don't I just get us started off with the voting? Um, Sounds good. I was going to vote for Anna because I've seen her computer and it's absolutely epic. But um, I also saw the pictures of the DeLorean and I saw that you tried to take them. So it kind of looked like the DeLorean was in front of the mall, like in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so you caught, you caught that, did you? Yeah. So I have to vote for you. Michael, because that was pretty nerdy that you actually tried to do that because it looked like it. Because when I originally saw the pictures, I didn't believe that you actually took them at first until I saw your work in the background. <laughs> I I, chan- I channeled the, I channeled my Brian. I tried to be be a very good <laughs> photographer. <laughs> so I vote for Michael. Anna, um, who do you vote for? You hey. are allowed to vote for yourself. Well, yeah, I'm definitely Michael because, I, first of all, I don't want to put myself, but also my computer, there are probably tens of thousands of them around here. So a lot of anyone can, can build or buy a computer like that. Michael saw something unique that was cool. So that's much – it was just that it was the coolest thing I happened to do that last week was building a computer. And the, the, to see a DeLorean that is from Back to the Future, that that beats my computers by, by a mile or 10 miles. Yep. Thank you. Anthony, who do you vote for? I'm going to be an evil asshole. I'm actually going to vote for myself. <laughs> you're a terrible person. I am. You know, I would normally proud say of my you're work. a terrible person for voting for yourself, but I know how hard you've been working on those minis. Um, so, no, that's fine. You're good. I'm still going to call you a terrible person, but you did an amazing job on those minis. Yeah. You definitely did the nerdiest thing from your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't we all? We all had some pretty good ones this week. Yeah, we I, did. I, I, I didn't think I was going to win this week because I sat on a couch and watched someone play video. <laughs> and watched somebody do something. <laughs> what would have been funny is if like, you were like, wow, we're flying. And like you actually looked out the window to see if it was sky. Well, you know, it's funny <laughs> that um, we did the same thing when my girlfriend Heather visited. We were playing the flights. We were watching Anna play the flight simulator and she flew over her house and Heather looked out the window. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I said that now we're flying out the, uh, out next to our house. So if we if this would be real, we would see ourselves through the window. And Heather Keller looked out the window. That was that was funny. Oh, that's so. Oh my yeah. gosh! So Look, my, I'm waving at myself. 
So who do you vote for, Michael? Yourself and win, or you can tie it up. I'm I'm actually going to vote. I am going to vote for Anna because people who can actually build their own computers and make them awesome like that really impress me. So I'm going to Michael wins. Wait, I won. I won. Yes. That's two votes for you. One vote for Anthony and one vote for Anna. Oh my gosh! Never wins. I I never wins. Anna's was pretty good too, though. I mean. Yeah, this was really good. <laughs> Brian, I kind of I was like, wow, I actually did have something good this week because you didn't vote for yourself. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I impressed Brian. Senpai noticed me. <laughs> exactly. There have been a few times. There have been a few times where I've only voted for myself because fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that means you're just there going like, damn, that was cool. Fuck you guys. I vote for me. <laughs> no, I still thought my thing was cooler than your thing. Oh, of course you have to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, good game. What's next, Michael? I'm not looking at the outline. I, oh, like I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says here he adjusts his glasses <laughs> methodically. Uh, we're supposed to ask questions. No, today we're we're actually going to talk to Anna about you know what she does for. Uh, cartography. I, we I want to know some more about her her hobbies. Um, you know, in, in and out of role playing, uh, the flight simulators. Because I found out about that a long time ago, and I have been really interested. Because last time I played a flight simulator, I was in a. I were like, what kind of plane do you want to fly? Jumbo jet. What do you want to do? Crash into that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> but she takes it serious, so I, I actually want to hear some more about that. Because she's super serial about it. But we're yep. starting with. But we're starting with fantasy maps and other role-playing writing work she has done. Sorry, I'm not very, <laughs> I'm very off the cuff today. So, yeah, yeah, my mapping came as a, I think it was kind of a little bit of a last resort. I guess I was like all gamers. I started making my own monsters. I made my own rules. I wrote my own NPCs, and I thought they were the best in the world, so to speak. And then after a little while, I, when I became a little bit older than I like in my 20 or so I started to have a little bit of, of self-awareness that was big enough so I realized that no other people are making better things than mine so they weren't that good but I saw maps I loved always loved maps and geography and landscapes and and also being done a lot of flying I love to look at landscapes from the air so so I realized that was that was part of it so I started drawing maps and I I was kind of, I would say so-and-so using pencils and pens and, and, and just whatever crayons or something you had around in the eighties. But then in, and, and that was pretty much it. It was, I just, and, and to get my gaming fix, I was a part owner of a game store for a little over 10 years. And, and I was helping out organizing conventions in Sweden and, and so on. So I got my gaming fix through that, so to speak. So I became a, a kind of a gaming professional just by being part owner. I invested in it. I didn't work full time. I, I, I have other work. So I just did it for, for so I had an outlet so I can say that I was in the business, so to speak. And, and I became someone in the gaming world a little bit, at least the, the local area, so to speak. And it was fun to, to do it. And I, I remember that those were the days in the, the early 90s, late, late 80s, early 90s, when the TSR was cranking out tons of stuff. And so every year when I got the, the new TSR catalog for the upcoming year, I just pointed out all the stuff I wanted. So every month there were like four or five 
products waiting for me and I just took them and put them in my my shelf and I was that's when I started to become a Greyhawk fan because all the, the in the beginning we had one guy he was the the DM he was always running the games and I thought he was magic he had all this super cool stories and and so on and and I was like what do all this come from and and then after a while we, I went with them to, to the game store and I looked and they had the, the Greyhawk box, the, the, uh, the golden yellow box that came out. And this was 1983, I think, or maybe 84. And, and I opened it up and, and started reading it. And then I realized this is where it comes from. So because they we played Tolkien or, or I don't know what kind of word. He came up with it and took references from, from lots of stuff that I haven't read because I started playing role-playing games and I hadn't read a single fantasy. I'd never, I didn't know about Tolkien before oh, wow. I started playing. So I came into role-playing games without knowing what a dwarf or an orc or an elf or any, any of it, so to speak. So I learned that afterwards. And Greyhawk, I realized this is the magic. This is where the stories come from. So I took that – I read it over several times and took it to my heart, so to speak. So that became my world. And and so, so I started – taking that as as a sort of a bible for my own games and then i realized the map was beautiful to look at the, the one made by darlene it was wonderful to look at but it didn't have all the details and i wanted a map that had all the details on it so i can actually use it for all my adventure making so i started making pencil and crayon maps and they look like crap today but they were that that's how i started and then the next piece of the puzzle was back in the late 90s, I think it was 96 or 97, a program called Bryce that you can do 3D terrain with came up. Because in the military, I've seen uh, computer-generated maps, even back in the 80s, but they were generated by supercomputers. And then I saw a, an ad in a um, because this is when early on on the internet, someone sent me an email with an ad for Bryce. And I was like, my jaw dropped and I realized this is so cool. But it was only for Mac. And I was almost driving down two hours down to Gothenburg to get myself the most expensive Mac possible <laughs> just to, to get it, meaning you spend $5,000 on a Mac just to be able to run it. But then I read that they're going to have a Windows version released next year. So I had to wait like six months or eight months. And I got the the, the box sent to me from, from to Sweden from America. And I, I bought the heftiest beefiest pc money could buy back then because there was probably about four or five thousand dollars back then and it had like 32 megabytes or of memory or something like that and i started learning bryce and i didn't know anybody it took about i would say six or eight months of trial and error and i started to find my style and that's when i started working on my my greyhawk mapping and i did it as a hobby for about 15 years and then i moved to America. I moved here to California from Sweden six, almost six years ago now. And then I realized that now I need something new to do. I quit my job, my career and all that. I needed something to do. And I realized now I'm going to first put aside a couple of years to finish my Greyhawk map and then see if I can turn this into from just a hobby into a, a career to do this full time. And so I finished, it took about two and a half years to finish my Greyhawk map. And then I was any nominated for it and i went to gen con and 
then I was asked, even before then, I was asked by uh, Wolfgang Bauer, Cobalt Press, to do a map for him. And I got about a half a dozen other assignments and, and probably about 50 more inquiries. Can you do a map for me? And so on and so forth. And I've been cranking out maps and worked on projects ever since. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. a, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so... Is there anything that you would that you personally think sets like your particular style of maps apart from everyone else's? Yes, uh, almost all fantasy maps. Now I'm talking primarily about landscape maps, campaign mm-hmm. maps, not so much dungeon maps because they are kind of a, a breed by themselves. Yeah. Uh, but but when talking landscape and and what we usually call like campaign maps, the whole world campaign world depicted. Yeah, world, Mo- continents, all those. Yeah, things. yeah. Most of them are. Uh, kind of a parchment painting style, and I love that. It's 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 wonderful to look at. Fantastic to give you the kind of uh, inspiration. But maps are to me, maps fall in a continuum. One end is the maps that are for inspiration. In, in the fantasy world or gaming world, it's the the painting maps, the, the parchment map. They don't give you anything more than a rough distance. And you can see if something is north or south or if it's hilly or not. But you don't get much information at all. More than It's more like symbols that looks awesome on, on, a, on something that looks like a parchment. That's one end of it, very inspirational. In the real world, you have maps that are purely inspirational. If you go to, to Disneyland or a zoo or, or a theme park, they give you a map that looks super cool. It doesn't. It doesn't show things in reality. It just looks cool, so you would spend all day spending money there, not to. So you don't. You should not realize that it's two miles to go from that little bit to the other one. So, so they try to obscure reality and make it cool. That's what 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 the, that type of map. And then you have the opposite type of map. That's the kind of map that is only in in informational. Not no not. No inspiration whatsoever. That's the map you will find in your GPS system or something that it doesn't mm. look cool at all. It's just there to take you from A to B or, or, or maps that are used by statisticians to tell you the, the crime rates or, or, or whatever it is, how a disease spreads or something. They look completely boring, but they give you the information. And I wanted – my goal was to cram the information from an, an informational map and somehow – Pair that with the inspiration from an inspirational map and find a style that was kind of a sweet spot between mm. the two. Something that – because I realize as a gamer and especially as a game master, you want to have a map that tells you everything about it. Meaning how long is it to go from how – lo- how many days will it go from there, here to there? Where would be a good spot for the orcs to have an ambush? Where can you expect the, a good uh, site to, to – to, for a small inn should be and, and, and all these things, so to speak. The, the the lay of the land, meaning you can you can kind of at a glance you can see, oh, that's an agriculture area, so there should be people living there in small villages, and that's the the the, the craggy hilly area where the orcs hang out, or 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 the swampy area with a little bit of an island in the middle where the evil cults hang out because no one else can get to them, and that's where they can hide, and and. So it should tell you climate, it should tell you the political and so on, and, and evil areas. You should kind of see the evil spreading on the map. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted – and it took me, I would say, about 10 years to, to refine a style that I think gives you a hell of a lot of information and still keeps a reasonable 
of, of that inspirational thing that you get from these wonderful parchment traditional fantasy maps. And that's been my style. And so far, I think I'm the only one who has that style. That's pretty cool. Like a nice blend between the 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 fantastical yeah, parchment, pretty, this is this is just for looks kind of map, but also a very useful you can you actually use this map realistically and it will actually be something that'll help you. Yep. I've seen a little bit of your maps. They're just they're they're gorgeous and they they speak fantasy, but at the same time they speak, you know, a hint of reality, which I think is really awesome. Yeah, it's more like others, they do a map with symbols on it. I want to visualize the world. And and it's it's kind of different because if you have the real world all you need is a, is a way of, of navigating around. The map is either there to give you information about the real world or is there to make you navigate through the real world. But fantasy maps, they fill a different purpose because you don't have a real world. Maps part uh, um, combined with the text and, and images is a key tool in order to, to experience the world. And I think that that create a different type of map. You have different requirements. And, and the same thing goes to, to for, for creating the maps. The, the uh, regular map, you use satellite photography, you use uh, land surveying, you go, go out with that teodolite and you start triangulating the area and you take photographs and so on but if you when you survey for doing a fantasy map then you have to read books you have to pour over or sketches and 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 stuff like that so it's the the research is it's the surveying is as important as a real map but it's done differently Hmm. that's really neat do you use uh real landmark to reference the the mountain peak or do you try and figure out the rate the levels on your own i don't use any real terrain in my maps that's part of my i create all the terrain using the same type of tools that are used by hollywood computer uh, game makers and so on the people that create virtual landscapes but they normally take the real landscape from a real world and then they alter it and, and use it in for whether it's for statistic statisticians or for realtors or or something like that but i create the landscape from scratch because i want the landscape to be unique i don't want anyone to see oh that's where i live that that's the mountain chain that's the alps or the rockies mm-hmm. or, or or something i want to have my own landscape from scratch and one of the reasons for that is that i can it the maps is not People think and publishers and, and gamers see the map as as the finished image, but for me the map is more a set of data because I can I, now I since the map is is I have a three D landscape meaning I can crank out a map showing the depths of the oceans I can uh, show a map of of the climate zones the the elevations and everything in between so to speak so it's more like it's like a rule system you can kind of tweak it and and you can use it over and over for for a decade or more as long as you play in the game world you can use the basic maps and the data to crank out new versions and and use it for different things now you mentioned the greyhawk atlas yep and that goes a lot farther than what you mentioned because that's a never-ending project right 
yeah, that's my my pet project because it was something I did for myself. I never had intention of publishing it or or because I started this before the internet came about and became real. So I never thought I would have the chance of, of publishing it. Originally, I did it so I could print it and and put it in a binder for myself. And then digital tools came along and, and I realized I don't want to print it. I want to keep it digital. So that changed it. And then the internet came about and I started publishing things on the internet. And all of a sudden, I had an audience. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was part of it, why it's taken off so much. So I, I'm very much... It, the whole product have changed. And the sad part to a certain degree is I started it a little bit too early because I don't have all the 3D data because the computers and the pro- software didn't let me do it. So I had to cheat a lot. So, 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 so now I'm actually starting to redo the whole project from the start again, this time using really modern technology. So it will, I'm using Greyhawk for product development, for showcasing, and for way – to do things the way I want it. Because when you work for a publisher, it's not the way you want it. It's the way the customer wants it when you when you yeah. work on commission maps. And and that's something I, I thoroughly <laughs> respect, so to speak. So I want to do it the way they want it. But it's wonderful to have a project where I can do exactly the way I want to. And that way I can set a standard because I think that from now on, my maps have set a standard, not for everyone's taste, but for a certain group of gamers, they want maps that looks like the ones I'm doing that had all that those possibilities. And I think that today's and especially tomorrow's computer technology would make my type of maps more and more common because they are best viewed on digital on the screen where you can zoom in, you can kind of tweak them and, and turn them around and, and so on. The Greyhawk Atlas for our listeners is available for free online. And we'll post a link to that. Uh, now, Anna, you're really involved with the Greyhawk community. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Greyhawk? Uh, Greyhawk is the kind of original, one of the original. It's it's uh, Gary Gygax's original home campaign. So it actually predates or very much was developed in parallel with D&D. So it was kind of a, the first test case for D&D. So, so the... It was originally it was Gary's home campaign, and the it wasn't much published originally. But a lot of campaign ad- adventures that was played in con- on conventions and stuff they became part of the Greyhawk thing, and then eventually they started publishing in the eighties and and also early two thousands. Three point five, the D and D three point five and and three and three point five had Greyhawk as their default world and also a lot of the the original heroes and places and especially spells are from greyhawk we've all heard about the nistel's magic aura and and stuff like that so a lot of the original characters and 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 names and stuff that were recognized with DD are actually greyhawk and one of them is drows gary gygix he put drows in greyhawk and then they the drow concept and put it in the Forgotten Realms. And that's where it became widely known. And everyone now, and I've heard that many times too, they say, oh, but Greyhawk, they stole the the, the drows from, from, from Forgotten Realms. And I said, no, we played with drows 15, 20 years before they <laughs> became popular in, in Forgotten Realms. And now they, they've done the same thing in 5th edition. They've taken Temple of Elemental Evil and put that in Forgotten Realms too. And that's one of the iconic places originally set in, in Greyhawk. So Greyhawk has kind of been a test bed for, for, for fantasy gaming. 
Wow. So you obviously gave us a good conversation about your your what sounds like your probably your favorite map. <laughs> Is there uh, any particular maps or style of maps that you don't like? Something that you just look at and you're like, oh, that's that's just not a good map. There are a couple of, of, I would say, trends that are – it's so interesting that they become part of mainstay gaming, and they were just bad idea. One is that the dungeon maps are still drawn to mainly fit on a letter size or an A4 in Europe size paper. So, so you still see these small square or rectangular areas and nothing goes out of it. And, and it's, that's one of the trends that I think it's completely boring. And, and we need now when we have digital tools, we, we can spread out. We can have larger areas. We can have things don't have to be neatly presented on a book page anymore. That's one of the, the, the things that I'm really, really, really it bores me to death, so to speak. And 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 the other thing is that that dungeons are always drawn in levels, meaning you start out the first level and then things get dirtier and, and scarier the, the the further down you go and stuff. So it's kind of predictable. That that's so so the basic dungeon map I think need uh, to be revitalized and brought into the modern realm. And and that's something I I, I want to do. But I, there's so many people that make good dungeon maps the problem is that i think they should kind of escape out of that that original paper tyranny so to speak it's that they they should abandon that and go for it the problem is that still maps are predominantly made by publishers are made to fit on a book page and i think that's will will change very soon the other trend is kind of similar and and it's it's more kind of it's almost so uh, bad that it's become cute in a way and that's the the blue you remember the the old blue maps dunya maps were printed in blue and there's still a company that cranks out pdf maps dunya maps that are printed in blue and and it became so synonymous that that people oh it's cool dunya maps should be blue and the reason <laughs> they are blue is because back in the day you couldn't photocopy a blue original so it was a, 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 a way to protect themselves from being copied, and 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 that was it, and and it was at the time it was seen as a as a kind of sacrifice in order to make them non-copyable, so to speak. And and so now there's still a generation of gamers, I guess in my age particularly, that still kind of likes the blue maps because it reminds them of the games they played in their teenage years or when they were 20 or so. And and that's another silly trend that I hope will have see the, the 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 grave soon so to speak but but i'm hoping <laughs> for the for the digital tools i'm 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 publishing and and tweaking my my work and technology for the future more than the present oh yeah everything's going digital these days it's pretty crazy yeah yeah the, the photo blue paper that can't be copied that yeah you were mentioning that i've, I've run into stuff like that before so yeah maybe maybe it'll see the grave hopefully <laughs> yeah the, yeah. We could keep a few of them for for nostalgia, yeah. for nostalgia purposes. But is the cartography or the only work you do, or is or do you try and branch out and do other work as well? Uh, when it comes to to the gaming part, yes, that's been the only thing so far. And 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 I've I've been so fortunate. I do other things as well, but uh, we leave them for 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 a later discussion. But the the when it comes to to my gaming part, it's it's been maps only, and and first of all because I feel I'm not anywhere near as good as I want to be, 
And also because I feel that's where I'm good enough so I can compete with other professionals. And I have my own niche and my own style that I think is is I can hone in on. And I don't feel like I'm anywhere near where I want to be. And I'm, so I want to develop that. And, and I've been so fortunate that I can actually say no to projects. And I've said no to probably about 70 or 80% of all the proposals I get. And I know there's so many starving artists and I don't earn a lot of money on it. You never, and, and I say that to all the listeners, never, ever, ever think of going into the game industry to earn money. Money is something you, if you can pay for your equipment and a little bit more than that, then you're successful because pay is abysmally dull, bad, so to speak. It's not you, you don't you don't earn much. You can you can I, I earn in the tens of thousands of dollars a year. So so I'm I'm fortunate. But but so so and so, so never do that with the intention of earning money. Money is a something you beneficially you get out of it, so to speak, eventually. But I'm so fortunate that I've I've have a special niche and and I also most projects don't fall because I demand too much money. They it's simply because I demand too much data. So, so I've had several opportunities, like to to map Eberron, for instance. There was a whole group of fans, and and including some of the not to name yet people who actually worked on on Eberron. They they approached me a couple of years ago, and they say, "Well, can't you do what you did for Greyhawk for Eberron?" And I simply say, "Yes, I can do it." And 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 I simply say, "You you hire me for a year. That might cost you twenty thousand dollars or so, and and then I need to have." someone's brain to pick and I need all the information neatly. You need to draw sketches of every part of it and I want all the data there. And they're like, oh, that's a hell of a lot of work. And I say, yes, and you either pay me, which means that I need another two years to do it and I need all the data or you provide me with that and I can do the map. And it was the money, that was not a question. They would have easily came up with that money by take, going out to all their fans. But the data... They were like, that's a hell of a lot of work, and it, it ended there. And most of my requests, problems with my commissions are that that they are too information intense. It, it requires a lot of work on the client side to provide we, with me with all the information I need in order to work. And that's where most projects end. They, they assume that you're going to do that too. <laughs> yes. They just like, oh, can you do maps of my six novels? And they gave me 1,200 pages of, of books. And I'll simply say, it would take me four months to read through that and take notes. Do you pay me for that? And then they're like, no, they just thought I would do that in the afternoon and then I can start mapping or something. It's it's that, that time perspective. And I often say that if you give me four months extra or six months extra, I can reduce the price. And, and, and work cheaper because I need time to do it. And and usually they approach me when the project is six months before publication and they said, oh, can you do a map of this? And then we're working on, on the text in parallel <laughs> and, and and you might see it, so to speak. And and, and so time is usually where, where things end and, and it's hard enough. So, so, so when I found like now Cobalt Press, we've kind of worked out these kinks and, and we can yell back and forth through email and Skype. And, and so on. And I know these people. Then I can trust and say, okay, I can do that in nine months. But I would never trust that with a publisher I haven't worked with before. Then I know that I will ask for 18 months and, and $1,000 less or something like that to do it. And they usually want to have something published very, very quickly. Oh, wow. Yeah. They see maps as a regular illustration, meaning, oh, I want a fighter on page two. And can you draw something? 
and and oh, and we want a map on page four depicting these six lands where it's 200 pages of text. But can you make something in in a month? And and the text is only half written. And yeah, and, they kind of see it as like, oh, it's just drawings. But it's like, no, it, it's yeah. drawings using a lot of data and a lot yeah. of plotting and a lot of situating and figuring out how this thing goes together and how to make it work and it's not you're like i can't just make a small simple drawing yep and and it's usually it, it requires the, work yeah and the way i work it's usually i do the terrain that's 80 percent of the job and i need all the data but then i can crank it out from any angle and in, in any resolution i can make a detailed map of a village area or i can make the whole kingdom or the whole subcontinent so i usually want to be paid by the square mile of of, of terrain i cover and then you can get 50 different maps of it that doesn't cost much extra because i can do that easily once i've done the terrain and, and put where the cities and where their roads are and the borders and such so, so do, do you have any advice for people who want to get into this kind of line of work that maybe they like they they hear you speak and they're like, wow, that sounds really cool making fantasy maps. Yeah. And, and I can totally understand it is cool because it, if you're interested in this, it's a dream job, so to speak. But in order to make it a job, first of all, I think you should do something you love to do. So, and you should find the style that you want to do. And, and then you should really dive in and learn that and then then you should do the opposite then you should look at every what everybody else is doing and you also have to in order to turn it from a hobby to a professional you have to embrace criticism because that's when you do when you're a professional you get they someone will just tell me oh that's not what i want that looks like crap change that don't try to defend your own work Simply try to figure out what the customer want, what the the, the customer want, and mm. and and then go with that. Whether you like it or not, that's the, not the point. You deliver what they want. If they pay for it, that's that's what it's going to be. But but there are interesting ways you can kind of work around that. And one of mm. my tricks is to I realized when I was working on Greyhawk, I needed all the fans to to tell me what should be on the map because I didn't have to wanted to read everything. And there was there's so much being written of Greyhawk the past forty years that it's impossible for any living individual to read all of it and especially make notes and, and make it work together. So oh, so in yeah. the beginning I tried so hard to I took one little part of, of, of Greyhawk at a time and mapped it. And I spent six months on, on a realm reading everything, taking notes, and then I cranked something out. And then people were telling me all the wrong things I did. So I figured out, because I've always asked, oh, now I'm going to map this. Can you tell me what should be there? And I got maybe four or five people make s some small suggestions. And that was about it. And afterwards, I had 100 people criticizing me the hell out of me, <laughs> all the, the, the errors I did. So I realized I, wanted, I needed to turn my critics into my best unpaid workers. So what I did was I simply put something together in three weeks that I knew had tons of errors and, and whatnot. And I even deliberately put errors in there, put it out there, and they criticized the hell out of it. I took all the critics – all their notes and and simply went through them and I got a perfect map out afterwards. So and, I got a question. Yeah. Now you answered for um, getting into professional map making. Like, let's say um, I'm running a game and I want to start doing like my own world instead of someone else's world, and I want to draw my own maps, and I have no experience with creating maps. 
where should I start? You should start first. I think you should uh, figure out roughly what kind of style you want to use, so to speak. Meaning, do you want to go for ultra realistic world world visualization, the, the the style that I'm using, or would you be happy just using pencil sketch on a piece of paper? Both have their advantages and their disadvantages. The pencil sketch is awesome and and fulfills a lot of needs and you can if you get good at it you can do fantastic work right away so to speak so so that is and i use it to sketch things for my own needs so to speak and then i move on to to make it otherwise so so always try to and try to think geographically try to to think what the the world look like and 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 how does and sometimes you can you can start out by simply a map or you have like a rough idea or I have an orc kingdom up there, then start thinking about what would the land look like and then put features in there. And and so so some people they they kind of create the world and then you put the game inside the world. Or you simply start out with the game and then you draw the map to simply reflect the game. And I'm more of a, a kind of since I'm a Greyhawk fanatic, then it means that someone else made the map for me already. So I just, but I have to kind of make it work. But I would suggest that you do the land. You have a basic idea. I want an orc kingdom there. And then then you draw the map. But also think about the big picture. A lot of games, that, some people, they draw the whole map first. And then they kind of fill it with detail afterwards. That might be to overdo it. But some people, they do the other way around. They all have a city. And then they draw a city map. And then they draw the next couple of miles. And then and they move on in going out from from a city greyhawk is created that way it's created from from a few small places in the middle of it and then they just spread outwards the problem if you do it from the spread outwards you start with the city and spread outwards is that eventually you have to figure out because there's often like a river flowing and and then you might end up then you have to figure out where the natural coastline should be. So if you look at the Greyhawk map, you have a lot of rivers that starts 50 miles from one coastline and then flows across the whole continent, 2,000 miles, to end up somewhere else and 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 have a delta 2,000 miles away from from the, the the sources close to another coast and and then I when I draw the map, I simply have to realize water flows downhill, at least normally, even in, in Greyhawk, which means that the original source, that coastline that the river starts next to it, has to be really high. That has to be 500 feet or higher above sea level. Otherwise, the river would not flow across the continent. And and so no one thought about that when they made the map. So the map has a lot of contradiction that looks ridiculous when you think about geography. Rivers don't flow alongside the ocean. They flow out towards the ocean. Usually. I would assume I would assume you see that a lot in fantasy maps. Yes. Yeah. A lot of it. And and sometimes it's great to have an exception because for in fantasy maps anything can happen, but it doesn't it just don't make sense if the whole world is based on on a whole bunch of, of stupidities or, or things that break normal physical rules. Because the, the world we game in, even D&D physics, have at least a base in real physics. And, and we want things to fall downhill and, and stuff like that. Yeah, now everything we, can't be fantasy make-believe. We talked about your flight simulator work um, where with your main hobby where you're where you're flying over, but that was inspired by you actually were a pilot, correct? 
Oh, yeah. I, I've flown a lot of different things over like 40 years since my teenage years. And I've been, yeah, I've been I'm flying all sorts of things from gliders to fighter planes and, and stuff. So, yeah, so I've, I've been, and that was cool. That ties into my, my fantasy game too. I love to look at landscapes from, from hiking to being up in the air. You said fighter jets? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I'm, I'm listening. Yeah, I, I did that for the Swedish Air Force, and I had had some chance to to been in the military and to 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 fly some cool things too. Yep, that is that is that is w- w- wicked cool. What's the <laughs> yep. coolest thing you've gotten to fly? Think some of the the cool. Actually, what I feel was the 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 actual most fun I've ever flown in a way. That was a small aerobatic glider that had short wings, and and that was that was in a way that was the most fun I've ever flown. It you could pull plus seven Gs and minus like five Gs or something in it, and and I. Towed that up to about 1,800 meters, and then I had about 15 minutes, and it's like flying a fighter jet. That that was even more fun in a way because it's oh it's God. pure flying. You don't you you oh, only use your cow. your. So so that was that was so much fun, and there were clouds and stuff, and you could simply just flying and and you, you you could go up to about 250 miles an hour in it and 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 or little or just under 300 miles an hour and 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 it was really really fast and you had all and and it's so nimble and completely silent and you just put good music in your ear headphones and and that that was some of the best flying experiences ever that that's that's kind of super cool but to go supersonic and go straight up it's cool too so yeah but that's kind but, of interesting that you would say that considering you've actually flown a fighter jet yeah but the the, the, the gliders are are super fun that it's pure flying it you have no engine to cheat with and and stuff like that it's it's pure flying it you have it's you and and the elements so to speak that's that's some of the best things ever okay that that, 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 that prompted a question i must ask now because you said you know put in some good music in your headphones and fly Yep. What would be your ideal song, everybody, and you're, you're doing to to fly like that with? Uh, that will be some trans techno. Prob- <laughs> yeah. Yep. Some awesome. trans techno would would probably be it. Like, uh, yeah. Some some there, there's a whole bunch of European, German, Belgium, British, and and so on. Something yeah. Something from the European trans techno scene. I once drove down the mountain with Anna. And I got introduced to a new world of techno. She listens to some <laughs> awesome music. Nice. So say, yep, she's a Swede. <laughs> yep, yep. Nice. Are, yeah, that, that's a European. It, it's, it's, I, I bet that there's good techno in America too. But from what I've heard, most of it, it's, you have R&B and hip hop and a whole bunch of other music styles that are, are quintessentially American but, and rock and roll and, and so on that, but the the techno world is more of a European style, I think. Well, you guys have some other music I love. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm Probably. a big fan in that that like death metal, black metal. That's true. Yeah, and I, that's a that's a very yep. European it's, thing. Yeah, and it's a lot of of Norwegian, Swedish, Finnish bands and the various metal genres. Yeah. Well, he was listening to this band called Ghost that um, I accurately guessed when he said he was listening to this this really, really dark metal. And I was like, which Scandinavian country are they from? <laughs> and they were Swedish. <laughs> yep, yep. 
and I think it goes with the uh, that that literally literally uh, literary or however you say it with uh, book genre when they write books with the Nordic noir. The, the 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 Nordic crime stories, a lot of, of TV series, movies, and and books, and and I think it's countries that have the crime rates are very very low, and so on. So people kind of invent scary things because there are not that many scary things out there in their everyday world. If you live in a part of the world where war and death and 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 hardship is every day, you don't have to write stories about it. But if you live in a world where a lot of it is you live in a safe, very cozy, kind of laid-back area of the world where you don't have to fight for your own survival. These stories kind of come naturally, so to speak. They, they, they fill a role. And and the Scandinavian countries have used to have a lot of hardship. They used to be an uncivilized part of the world where, where people really had to fight hard to survive. So there is a lot of, of recent memory to, to hang on to and, and so on. So so I think it's a combination of those two things. And also people have a lot of a lot of large part of the population have a chance to both play music or write. It's like Iceland is the the, the most number of, of, of authors that publish books per capita are in Iceland. I I always assumed it was because it gets so cold there and people have to be inside and have to have inside <laughs> hobbies. Yes, that's one one thing. And the other thing is that for music, for instance, that through public schools, everyone get a chance to who wants to can play an instrument, and they get sponsored by the 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 community and then the government to to purchase an instrument and play and so on. So so it's less expensive than than in many other countries to get into it. So, so, so it's a larger part of the population that have a chance. So we're – it that is all absolutely fascinating, Anna. We are out of time. Um, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about any projects you want to plug. Uh, well, the obvious right now would be to plug Midgard, the Midgard Kickstarter uh, that I'm doing a lot of the, the landscape maps and campaign maps and so on for. That's what I've been working hard on the past but five months and it will be probably another four months to go. So that's the obvious right now. And then I have a few a couple of other projects in line for the the, the second half of this year. So uh, and hopefully I can have my patrons started before the end of the year. I was scheduled to have that started around New Year's, but the problem was then I got uh, Midgard project grew into much bigger than, and the Kickstarter is doing really well. So I guess it will grow bigger than that. And I have another computer game I will do maps for, and 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 maybe another project before I get a chance to start my Patreon. But that's where I want to be eventually. So we might come back to that later this year. Oh, that's so cool. When you when you um, get that up and running, we'll make sure to share it. Mm-hmm. How um, would people find you? online and if they wanted to how could they get a hold of you uh, the easiest will go to uh, ghmaps.net that's my greyhawk page i have another website i haven't started yet but i've got com lined up but i haven't been able to to get get it to get, i just have the domain i haven't made a, a proper website yet well present all my my uh, projects and have more of a, a, a full body of work there so to speak so uh, gh map was a, a site i started almost yeah 20 years ago when the internet was young i think i registered way back in the day and where i presented my my greyhawk maps and that's still been the my blog and my go-to place so so, so they contact me so if people want to get a hold of us 
Um, you can do that on the Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page. You can also email us, email us at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, anthony.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at Nerdcast Radio, at Super Vegan Brian, and at Nerdcaster Mike. Um, we are all very active on social media, and you can reach us that way. And we would like to make a special request. Um, we don't have a lot of reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or any of those places where reviews matter and they get us listed. So um, please make the time. If you're listening to us, um, go on those sites and leave us a quick review and hopefully a very positive one. And if you don't have anything positive to say, we are happy to take your feedback, too. Um, you can go on Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook and Give us your feedback and suggestions for topics, and as many listeners can attest, we will talk about the things you want us to talk about, so please do that. Um, I am done with my spiel. Um, Michael, do you have anything coming up? This week, uh, I think all I'm going to be doing this week is trying to get some, uh, more organized for the gaming sessions I want to try and set up for once a month, and also uh, put you on the spot here, Brian. You busy Wednesday? Um, I'll look at my calendar as soon as we're done with the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just put you on the spot there, pal. Yeah, uh, but other than that, uh, mainly more role play, uh, getting more role play stuff together. I've I've really put myself on a drive to try and get some kind of role playing back into my system because I, I really miss it. So cool. yeah, that's I I know it's been noticed it's been a trend with me lately, but it's because I really want to do it. So so well, I you, have um. So last week I mentioned that I got to play pinball in the man cave heaven. Yeah. Um, and um, Fred, the owner of that house, called me this week and invited me to join in a monthly pinball tournament. And he gave me um, he gave me um, the option to invite you guys. So if you're interested, when and where um, haven't figured out yet, keep me posted. I am interested. Me. I, I know you live far away, Anthony. But, I'm not good at all. Yeah, he totally <laughs> me neither. But still. Guy, so. um, and um, we got some feedback from Craig about the intro song to our podcast is a little bit too jarring. So in this episode, we're going to lower the volume a little bit and see how that works. Uh, thank you for your feedback. Um, it is loud. And we just kind of said suck it up before. But, yeah, we, we should probably turn that down. So <laughs> so that is the official shut the fuck up to our intro. <laughs> and that is, not our, that is not our musician's fault. That is my fault. I have it cranked way up at the beginning of the podcast. Well, it's not a shut the fuck up. It's more of a like, hey, tone it back just a little bit. You know, it's like Being that. Loud, Ryan. Being very loud. Tone it the fuck back. <laughs> tone it the fuck back. Turn down for what? <laughs> down for life. Anthony, we know you are working on minis. Do you have anything else going on? I say I, I do have an idea for a mini. <laughs> what is that? Oh yeah. So one of the things I want to get is um I want to get like a group of bikers, basically little little space marines on bikes. And I was like, and I want my lord, basically my my warlord, the 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 commander of the army. I want him to be on a bike also. But I was like, well, if he's going to be the one leading the army, though, he can't be just on a bike. It's got to be something cool. It's got to be something special. So I want to buy a kit, a uh, little like bits for a thing called a plague drone. Um, basically, it's a gigantic 
rotting fly. Um, I and I want to put wrong. the Chaos Lord on that and then be like, that's the bike. I'll be using the bike rules, but it'll actually be a giant demonic. <clears throat> it'll actually be a giant demonic rot fly, not a bike. It sounded like you were getting a little possessed there while you were trying to say that. It's going to be a rot fly. <laughs> so that's my plan. And this this will require a lot of cutting, a lot of green stuff, a lot of modeling. Like, I'll actually have to do my own modeling to make it to work. It'll be my first time doing something like this. I hope I don't fuck it up and break something forever. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, uh, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, we we all are all we're all getting into some very niche stuff. The, the pinball tournament <laughs> key is here. Keep us very very updated on that one because I I'm not good at it, but I love pinball. And I'm not good at it either. And um, he said that he doesn't think anybody that comes is going to be good at it other than him. But we'll all get good at it. And he's he he's going to coach people too. Oh, I'm yeah. Oh. I'm I'm I am open for that. This sounds uh, more worth it now. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. Uh, I actually really enjoyed today's call. I I learned more about what the fantasy cartography really is and how your style Anna, is is unique. And I've seen a little bit of your work, like I said, and it's very good. I look forward to seeing much much more of your work. And I just have to say thank you, Anna, so much for coming on. I was actually looking forward to this episode for a long time because I've already thought you're an amazing person. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. I, I almost forgot to mention, um, Anna plays in my home game. And we, our first game in like two months is next next Saturday. Yeah, oh. I'm really looking forward to that one. It's so much fun. And and Brian is such an awesome GM. It's, it's yes, amazing. Yep. Yes. I love his. I love when he jams. Yep. Uh, he's also that guy that gets the devil smile when his when the boss <laughs> hits a twenty on yep. his giant red flashing uh, mm-hmm. die. Is he? He really does pull out that devil smile. You're just like, that's me. Oh, I have to make up for it in our home game because we play online. So um, if someone gets a crit, we had recently had a triant got a crit, and I just said the triant wills his arm back. And knocks the character into the ground like a tent peg. Oh my god! <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Brian, yeah, Brian is amazing. It's the first. Brian's the first GM. I I played with plenty of, of GMs over over the years, and J- Brian is the first GM that is that can master both the the rules part, meaning knowing rules and doing the the the. Simply the administrative parts of being a GM to to make things flow, know the rules, to to set up things rules wise, and also to know the the social bit to to yeah. to play personas and 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 to to know how to interact with the players in a social fashion, so to speak, and also to make sure that the the main the main goal of a GM is to make sure that the players have fun, and those three things I've 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 had. GMs that are masters at one of the three, or maybe the two of the three, but Brian is the best one I've seen in all three at, at once, so to speak. It's, yeah, that is super. I am, I am so agreeing. red right now. I, I have an agreeing. idea. I have an idea. Anna, one day you should come on and you'll take the place of Brian and then we'll make Brian the interview subject and we'll interview, interview him on the art of DMing. That would be fantastic. Yes, because I think Brian has that. a lot of, of tips. I'm, I'm, I'm a decent uh, GM, but I'm not anywhere near as good as Brian. We're doing this. 
I yep. played in Anna's game. She is very good. I, she she TPK'd our whole party. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of I when I play my games, it's very sandboxy, meaning all the inhabitants are there, and if you stir up trouble when you're third level, and then you can run into real trouble. I. My games are not run by, oh, this, now you level five, which means that, or CR seven, if the CR 20 is around in the area, you will encounter him. And if you, if you don't realize that, but I usually give the players a lot of hints, but most players are, are simply, oh, if it's there, it's there for us to kill. And they go in and kill it because they, and, and that's the, what they need to learn about my gaming is very sandboxy. I try to depict a world they're, they're playing in, so to speak. Maybe we should run away from the Glibritsu, not fight it. <laughs> it was a death night. Yep. It was a it was an old school D and D death night. And yep. oh yeah. My my halfling died. Oh. <laughs> hey, that red uh, dragon has red dragon stats back away. So we'll we'll schedule that, but for now, Michael, close us out. Got it. Again, great topic. Wonderful. Uh special thanks to Anna for coming on and, and telling us everything. I have been your host, Special Mikey. Along with me always is Hindu Anthony. Bye, everybody. I love you all. Super Vegan Brian. Shut the fuck up, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about shut the fuck up? Um, Doug. Doug, yeah. We're not doing that at the end of every episode. He doesn't deserve it. Michael deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's right. He's right. And our special guest, interview subject, and just all around well of knowledge and use mapmaker anna thank you and this has been nerd podcast radio thanks for giving us a listen and as always stay nerdy stay informed and stay and awesome, stay awesome. <laughs> awesome. Say, say goodbye anthony brian cut him off goodbye